You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, winner of the Share Care Emmy Award for Social Storytelling and the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today I'm going to be answering a question from the mailbox, and I like this question. I like it a lot. It has to do with HIT training. Uh, let me just let me just pet peeve for a moment. HIT training, um, HIT stands for High Intensity Interval Training, so it's H-I-I-T, but when you say HIT training, it doesn't make any sense because the T already stands for training, so should it be high training? And does high training have a different connotation altogether? So maybe we just stick with the HIT training, but whatever it is, it's like saying the ITB band and then knowing that B stands for band. And so eventually we have turned it into IT band and we don't say ITB anymore. So maybe one day it'll be high training. Hi with an extra I. This is a question from Mark C on September 30th. Good afternoon, Dr. Double R. I like that. I was wondering if you could put together a podcast or two outlining generic examples of how to use the OPT model to design a HIT workout. Answering questions like what phases do we use, exercise selection, examples of exercises from each phase, how many exercises can we use, acute variables, sets, reps, rest, do we use training systems like supersets, is the OPT model a great tool for HIT, and can you still do core balance and plyos with resistance training? If your podcast could help me put together a rough guideline, I'd really appreciate it. Then at least I could start to integrate this type of training with some science behind it with what I'm currently doing. The bigger question is, how do I get the biggest bang for my buck? If that's the correct term I hear the Americans using when designing a hit workout. As always, thanks to you for your podcast. It's really helped me uh, help support my NASM qualifications. Regards, John C. from the UK. Thank you so much, John C. So let's talk about some of the stuff. Let's get into it a little bit. Just a little bit. So we're going to talk about HIT training, high-intensity interval training, HIT workouts. And there's there's some things that that we need to, to figure out first from the question. And, and I'm not entirely sure if when you're asking the question, are you asking, and I'm going to answer both, um, but just pontificating aloud, uh, join me. So are you talking about the workouts being HIT workouts? So resistance training workouts in the form of high-intensity training? Or are they high intensity interval programs that are put into the workout? So, and I'll explain it like this. I might do circuits. And when I do circuit training, in many instances, the circuit training can be considered a high intensity workout, a high intensity interval training that's going to be generally agreed to believe, uh, agreed upon to be about 80% of your max heart rate, 80% and above, 80% and above. So it's hard, it's hard work. It's gonna, it's gonna work you out. Your heart rate's gonna be elevated. And a lot of times the circuit training that I do gets people there. And that's a resistance training circuit. And so let's do this, for example. I might do um, an endurance training protocol. So stabilization, endurance, 
and focusing more on on endurance rather than stabilization, I might have somebody focus on kettlebell swing one side. Uh, and we'll do 10 reps followed by kettlebell swing on the other side. And we pull that kettlebell up and then we go into some goblet squats. And then from goblet squats, we do a single arm press for reps and then we switch it single arm press for reps and then finish it again with another set of swings. All right, so none of that is cardio, so to speak. Like it's not the skier, it's not the bike, it's not the rower, but it's cardio. Uh, your heart does not know if you're doing resistance training versus cardio training. We call it cardio and cardio means heart, but your heart is, is acting up. It is getting highly involved in all of these resistance training protocols. And we're doing high intensity interval training as a workout. And you can do this for reps. You can do it for time. I might do the exact same workout instead of saying uh, we're doing this for 10 reps each. I very often will do it for 30 seconds a pop. And then at the end of it, I say, very good. Take a break. Walk it off for 60 seconds. So if I do four exercises, that is a work to rest ratio of two to one. Now, this kind of depends on this kind of, it definitely depends on where your clients are. And what I mean by that is that, first of all, there is a hit work to rest range that we're going to look at. The work to rest range generally is going to be a one to two work to rest ratio at its lowest. And that might be, all right, so we're going to do a 30 second exercise and I'm going to take 60 seconds off. Well, that doesn't seem like high intensity to a lot of people, not high intensity training. But remember, based on where you are, that can be very challenging and be very difficult for the heart rate to get back down. So yeah, that, that could be high intensity. And then we might be looking at up to, and this is where I generally see at towards the highest range, a three to one work to rest ratio for the more advanced people. So that might be 60 seconds of exercise followed by 20 second break. Now, that can be very challenging. Uh, also, that's the same as Tabata-style training. Um, actually, uh, that would be uh, a two-to-one work-to-rest ratio. So if you've heard of Tabata, and I'm sure you have, it's usually 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off. 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off. But, uh, and I mentioned this recently, a lot of times when people talk about, oh, it's supposed to be at 120 to 150 to 180% of your um, max heart rate, I'm sorry, your VO2 max. And that's not true because your VO2 max is your max. That's 100%. So you cannot do more than 100% of your 100%. So what does that mean? It, it was actually... Uh, the functional power training, which is a type of training generally used with cyclists. And, uh, and that's how that study was done. But that is a 20 seconds on 10 seconds off a two to one work to rest ratio at an incredibly high intensity. So what they were doing, uh, it was like sprint training, except for sprint training is generally seen with a work to rest ratio of one to eight. So you you sprint for 10 seconds and you take 80 seconds and it's like eight to 12. Some people don't even think, some of the researchers don't think 12, a one to 12 work to rest ratio is enough recovery. 
So let's just go with that. So a one to 12 work to rest ratio. I work highest intensity I can sprint training for 10 seconds. And then I take 120 seconds off. And if you've ever done sprints, taking two minutes off after doing a 10 second sprint, which for some people is pretty close to like 100 yards, uh, 100 meters, then that is not a lot of recovery. So you might need a lot more recovery than that. So I understand where they're coming from. But I want to answer the question when it comes to terms of workout, right? So can I do a workout with with resistance training exercises and have that be high intensity? Absolutely. Yes, you can. The tendency though, is that for a lot of times these exercises, if they are just regular exercises and they are not uh, high intensity exercises, it's going to take several portions of the circuit. So if you do this for 30 seconds and let's say that it's a a dumbbell chest press, like your heart rate's not going to be up that high and you're lying down, the rest of your body is not involved. You can still do it, but that's not going to spike your heart rate that much. But if you did push-ups, that's a totally different story. For some people, you start doing push-ups, there's a lot more incorporated in push-ups than there is in a chest press systematically, systemically. So it might be more intense on your pecs, anterior delts, on your triceps doing a dumbbell chest press, but it is a lot more involved with the rest of your body and that will increase your heart rate if you are doing push-ups. So let's say we're going to do push-ups, right? And then I like to do a peripheral heart action. So I like to go upper body, lower body, upper body, lower body. And at the end, I will throw in um, usually a 30 second to 60 second sprint on uh, a ski erg, on a rower. I might do jump rope. I just, I don't think jump rope for most people provides the intensity of heart rate. For some people, it definitely does. Um, I might do treadmill, sled mill, or a bike. So something like that, where I know I'm going to spike the heart rate, especially high at the end. And I'm still in the endurance training program. Well, can I do that in hypertrophy? You can. Certainly you can. Just realize that you're probably not going to get as much hypertrophy out of that type of workout, but you will still get a great overall workout. Can you do that when it comes to power training? I'm going to say no, not if you actually want power out of it. So you can incorporate phases of it. And so what that would be is if I'm focusing on power training, that is the rate of force production and the amount of mass that I can move, right? So I'm, I'm lifting heavy and I'm moving fast. And you want to incorporate some conditioning, in it, conditioning into those programs, not just focusing on how much you can lift and how fast you can move, but now we want to add conditioning into it. So I might do something like, um, like my superset, so the post-activation potentiation, Let's do some barbell squats, one to five repetitions going heavy, and then put the barbell down, turn around, box jumps up or box jump downs and controlling those impacts for, um, uh, let's say both of them, we're going to do this eight to 12 repetition range. So one to five is really a max uh, rep, um, sorry, max strength training program. 
eight to 12 repetitions for my squats, eight to 12 repetitions for box jump ups or box jump downs. And I can go through several versions of that. I can kind of cycle that where I'm doing an upper body. So my lower body is recovering. So it feels kind of circuity, but it's not high intensity interval training. But do you want to add intervals into that workout? And if you do, then I suggest waiting if you're just going to focus on legs or if you're going to do a leg and an upper body and go back and forth between those because your legs are recovering while you're doing upper body, upper body's recovering while you're doing lower body. And at the end of those two things, which kind of seem like supersets of supersets, at the end, and you're finished with those exercises, before you go on to the next set, you want to get a conditioning drill in, you can. So you can do some high-intensity interval training. Uh, I love doing sets of 30 on, 30 off. And so I might have them do five minutes of 30 on, 30 off, 30 on, 30 off. The problem, it's not a problem, just depends on what you're going for, is that that will limit whatever you do next. <clears throat> so where do you want the most benefit? Do you want to focus on the conditioning? And if so, do the conditioning first. Do you want to focus on the post-activation potentiation, the heavy lifting supersetted with an explosive movement? <clears throat> you can do that. Whichever one you want the most is the one that you should do first. Whichever one isn't as important or secondary or tertiary, that's what you would do last. Sometimes you focus more on conditioning days. Sometimes you focus more on your lifting days but you can put them together. Well, what does that have to do with what we're talking about in the OPT model? And can I use HIT? <clears throat> and can I still incorporate core and balance and reactive? You can. And I would say still doing in, uh, incorporating core balance and reactive, that's CBR, core reactive, uh, reactive meaning plyos. Can I put plyos in there? And I would suggest doing those three things as a warm-up, as a movement prep, but not as a part of your high-intensity interval training. <clears throat> Excuse me, because there are not a lot of exercises you can do for your core that are going to get your heart rate up. Not a lot of balance exercises that you're going to do that will get your heart rate up. There are plyo exercises that you can do. In fact, I did one today where at the end of doing a superset, I would throw in an exercise where, where plyos were done. And these were squat jumps. And that was a good finisher at the end where we add in something that's going to spike your heart rate, but that's not high intensity interval training. It's just something that elevates your heart rate at the end of a resistance training workout. So what are the guidelines here? Well, the guidelines are really, <clears throat> if you want to focus on high intensity interval training, because we know there are benefits of it. There are many reviews, there are many research studies out there that discuss the safety of high-intensity interval training when it comes to people that are elderly, people with chronic conditions, that you have to be careful with orthopedic conditions, I think probably more than anything else, but high-intensity interval training, in many ways, a fountain of youth, and it's an incredible time saver. It's amazing. How do you incorporate it into your program? I will generally do something like it, it doesn't matter if I'm in stabilization, strength, or power. If I'm incorporating high intensity interval training, I generally will do it either at the end of a workout or at the end of a circuit. 
So if I'm doing circuit training, it'll be at the end of a circuit, at least 30 seconds, kind of an explosive up to 60 seconds, all out, go. Or at the end of a workout, I might say, hey, in the last five minutes before we do our stretching, we're going to do five minutes of 30 on, 30 off. And the reason I say that is because the cardio component does not align, uh, you know, one for one with the OPT model's resistance component. So it's not like, hey, you're doing stabilization training. And if you're doing stabilization in the resistance component, then you must be doing long, slow duration cardio. And if you're in the strength training, then you're doing moderate intensity cardio respiratory training. And if you're doing power training, then you can do high intensity interval training. That's not how it works. Those are those are two separate components. Now, I think it's probably good to get a nice cardio base, but you don't need a cardio base to do high intensity interval training. So what's the biggest bang for your buck when it comes to designing HIT workouts? Well, you can design your stabilization training with your resistance training workouts, exercises, as HIT. So let's say, let's do something initially to pop off the, the heart rate, to get the heart rate going so that you can keep it spiked as you go through some of the lesser intensity heart rate exercises. So after a good warm up, and make sure you get a good warm up with all of these things, um, especially going into higher intensity exercises, the longer, higher intensity the workouts, the more focused and deliberate and generally longer your warm ups are going to be. So <clears throat> I'm going to get somebody in for that workout, and they're pretty decent athletically or fitness speaking. So now I'm going to bring them in <clears throat> a nice warm up, and I might do something like start with the cardio. Let's bang out 30 seconds of the ski erg. <clears throat> well, I like that. If I start with 30 seconds on the ski erg or on a rower, all out blast, then you can do, um, you know, uh, a split squat for 30 reps uh, for 30 seconds or, you know, however many reps and your heart rate's still going to be elevated. <clears throat> if you start with split squats, then your heart rate might be at a moderate intensity until you get to the very end and do the cardio. So do the cardio first. And again, doesn't matter if your strength uh, level or stabilization level, you can incorporate these into it. And then cardio, bang it out, heart rate, heart's fluttered. Now what? Now, split squat one leg, let's say 30 seconds, holding some kettlebells or dumbbells. Then right into it, split squat with the other leg forward, another 30 seconds or for however many repetitions. Then drop down onto the floor, push-ups. The heart rate's not going to go down, really, while doing those. But if you started with split squats and you started with push-ups, then you're, it's going to take a while for the heart rate to get up there. So what we're doing is we're basically saying, let's get the heart rate up and then don't give it an excuse to come down. Get the heart rate going, elevate the heart rate, start with the cardio, and then you might want to bookend with the cardio. And that cardio could be um, kettlebell swings. That could be a typical cardio exercise. That might be cleans. It might be snatches, something where the entire body, uh, a cable squat to row something where the entire body is working and that builds and maintains that exhaustion factor that you're looking for, for your heart rate to stay elevated. 
And again, we're looking at about 80% or above of your max heart rate or your heart rate reserve. So you can incorporate all that. The biggest bang for your buck is going to be finding something to elevate your heart rate and keep it elevated, but also taking those breaks. Because as my friend Fabio says, you are looking for high-intensity interval training, not high-intensity exhaustion training. And I think there are times where exhaustion can be very important and working through exhaustion can be very important. That's a great mental challenge. It is a physical challenge, but its outcomes are more mental than they are physical. If you take the breaks and you really build your breaks, then you're going to get stronger outcomes when it comes to your recovery so that you can be more recovered and get more out of your lifts. So there are, are there certain sets and reps and rests? Well, the, uh, the tendency is looking at timing, right? So what is your time? Time, when we look at work to rest ratio, is almost always time. So how many sets do you do? And those sets can be varied. So I can do, let's say, four sets of any particular circuit of about four or five exercises and then take a very long break in between those. So two, three, four minutes, five minutes even, and then set up another circuit and hit another circuit. If you've got a good warm up about 10 minutes, you got a good cool down about five to 10 minutes at the end. So that's going to leave you with uh, 40 minutes to do a workout and you do not need to do 40 minutes of high intensity interval training. So take advantage of those breaks between circuits so you can get the most out of the following circuit. All right. Um, are there any concrete guidelines that are given there? I think the work to rest ratio are pretty concrete. So the one to two work to rest ratio uh, as people are more deconditioned and then a three to one work to rest ratio as you get more um, uh, athletic people, more fit clients that are coming in to see you. In between your sets, take a much longer break for optimal recovery. Make sure those creatine phosphate stores can be almost fully replenished with about three to five minutes in between and then start taxing them again and you know, if you want a specific exercise, you can take all of the OPT model and just look at uh, what we sometimes refer to as a <clears throat> vertical training where instead of horizontal, where you do the same exercise, bench press, break, bench press, break, bench press, break, you do where you start your entire workout and you just put them all together. So squats, chest, back, shoulders, buys and tries if necessary, but also making sure you're incorporating the core balance and reactive training into it. If you so choose, speed agility and quickness can also go in there if you so choose, but you can do any and all of these at intensity. Usually the lighter the weight means the faster you do it to create at intensity. Well, Rick, I thought um, stabilization endurance training was very slow and always on one leg. <laughs> no. No, that is a component of the model, but can you do something that is endurance-based that isn't a three-two-one tempo? Absolutely, absolutely. Because now you are adding your components to react more like cardiorespiratory training. So you can perform it in a way. Does it fall in line exactly with what we know the OPT model to be? But no, it doesn't. 
But again, that's why the model is a model and the model is not dogma. Once you learn the model and you explore the model and you train with the model, then you can start to play with the model. And then you innovate. And then you find things that fit and you take things that currently exist and you say, how can I apply this into the model? And that's a great thing about a model is that you can usually fit other things into it that don't seem to fit exactly the way that you thought they were because it's a concept. And so we have a schema to follow with this model. And then we can use that to fit into the schema of high intensity interval training where those are fused and we work them together. So uh, I think the biggest bang for your buck is probably, depending on, on where your clients are and what their goals are, is incorporating high-intensity interval training throughout your training protocols. So if you're doing endurance training, you can do resistance training hit, but I wouldn't do resistance training hit until I felt very comfortable that their resistance training uh, is is first of all, in good form and they can do things well. So that means I don't, I don't take people right into high intensity resistance training immediately. I can immediately take them into high intensity cardio training, like a ski erg and a rower and a bike, because those are all things that they can pick up on and do safely pretty well because it's not heavy. There's no eccentric load. They're not going to be overly sore from doing it. And most people can do those things after just a few uh, minutes of instruction and do them in relatively good form or good enough form that they can push themselves hard and get their heart rate up. I wouldn't trust everybody doing that with uh, squats. In fact, I wouldn't trust people to do that with burpees in a lot of examples because some people's burpees are the most awful thing that I've ever seen. And I think, oh my gosh, you're going to hurt yourself doing burpees. Um, so I, I would make sure that you're cueing and they're doing a line pretty well. And remember, when you provide critiques to your clients, that is an investment in them. That is not a judgment upon them. That is them paying you to teach and coach. And I always think about all of the sessions as you're not just paying for the workout, you're paying for the education that you walk away with. You are learning as you do. And that is as valuable as anything else that you'll be taking on. So John, uh, thank you so much for, for sending me the question. And I know that it wasn't an exact answer to every single question, but these are concepts and ideas. And so they're not exact answers. There are some really good answers with plenty of variety in between. And I hope you take that to heart. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much time uh, for your time and for listening. Like, subscribe, share with your fitness friends and family. And uh, if you get a chance, leave a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Uh, listen, if you want to reach out to me, ask a question like John has done, then feel free to do so. You can hit me up on Instagram at dr.rickritchie or email me at rick.ritchie at nasm.org. Y'all keep inspiring people to fitness. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast. <laughs>